Good evening. It is Monday, April 4th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is a vision for you, and our speaker tonight is Laura. Thank you so much, Laura, for your service tonight. Thank you very much, Amy. Hi, everybody. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm powerless over food. My name's Laura, and it's great to be with you all. Um, I have never been to this meeting uh, because I'm I'm a morning person, <laughs> but I'm so grateful to Amy L for inviting me to come tonight because um, it is just wonderful to be connected to new friends here. And there are a couple folks who I know or recognize or have had the privilege of hearing before, and that's really a gift. Um, so I'll. I'll start off by telling you a little bit about what it was like. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in the late 1970s for the first time, and I had gone away to college, um, never had a weight problem, had an eating issue, but never had a weight problem, <laughs> uh, but have always had very high metabolism and exercised quite actively. Um, I'm just fidgety, <laughs> let's put it that way. So uh, I went away to college and that is when things really took off. And if I was able to find my photos beforehand, one of the photos I like to show is of my, my meal card from school. Uh, oh my God, do I look miserable in that photograph, miserable. Uh, because that was where my eating disorder really blossomed in that meal hall. And uh, what happened is that uh, even though I was dancing several hours a day, I packed on 50 pounds that first year. And I was shocked. I'd never been overweight. So um, I took on this persona of being a badass, and that really worked for me. Kinda. <laughs> Kinda, I say, because Underneath my badass persona, I was just aching, soft, hurting, tender, fragile, delicate, with this big veneer of loud body, can do it all, pushy broad. So um, I know now that a lot of people were, like I would see people shocked by how much I was consuming. I was just consuming an unbelievable amount of food. And, um, and I loved to dance and I was taking some classes in the dance department and I, th there I took on the persona of the fat dancer. And uh, so somehow I heard about program. I think it was uh, Ann Landers. And I found my way to some meetings the summer of uh, right after my freshman year. And that was in Maryland that I was where I grew up. I was going to class. I'd gone to school in New York, came back home for the summer and I started going to meetings and I followed the OA diet program is what I would call it. Cause for me, it was a diet. I'd never dieted. So I was like, Oh, Gracie sounds like a diet. I'll do that. And then, and for those of you who are newer, we used to give out these food plans and one of them was called Gray Sheet. And so I followed that. Um, I was all about self-improvement. So the emotional recovery part of the program that I was into. 
the spiritual was right over my head. No connection whatsoever. Um, you know, I grew up in a faith where we went to synagogue on high holidays, but there was no God ever discussed. God was never discussed. So I just couldn't wrap my head around anything spiritual. It was, it, it eluded me. Um, and I lost the weight that summer. I just did. And I went back to school. I'm skinny. Woo! I started going to meetings where um, the one meeting that I could get to by bus from my campus uh, was in the middle of the day. And there were all these um, middle-aged women who were kind of overweight and a lot of them were overweight. And I was at art school and I was hip and I was cool. And I just, nah, I couldn't relate. So I left and I went out and did a few more years of research into the disease of compulsive overeating. And what brought me back was I didn't care anymore about being fat. The being 50 pounds overweight did not bother me anymore. What really troubled me was the, the, the disconnect from people. Time, Laura, five minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joy. You know, just the yearning to connect with people and I'd be sitting at a restaurant with a friend wondering when the meal would end so I could go across the street and binge and what I could binge on after that and what I could binge on after that. And I had, you know, a whole array of binges lined up. I couldn't be with my friends. I couldn't be with the people I loved. And I was, it was breaking my heart. Um, and so, um, I made one, I made my way back. That was in the like 88, roughly late eighties. Um, and I want to say, because someone noted in the chat room that they're, um, they're in relapse and, um, you know, a lot of us are relapse survivors. A lot of us, there are a few people that get struck abstinent from the start, but a lot of us relapse is a part of our story. So for me, um, I had gotten abstinent that first summer and then it was gone. And then when I came back, I got abstinent again and, uh, and got thin and got a brand new job and then relapsed. And it was the most violent eating I'd ever done. And I was going to three meetings a day. This is back in the old days when I would drive to meetings, I would drive a half an hour to a meeting. Um, some of the meetings were closer, but I was going to one, well, one to three meetings a day. And I had a sponsor. I was working the steps. I was reading the literature. I was doing everything I could imagine. I could not get abstinent to save my ass. So I have immense respect for this disease. Um, it is a mystery. It is the mystery of a power greater than myself that, um, you know, gifted me with abstinence 33 years ago in February. Um, and I, um, I define my abstinence as an imperfect abstinence. And so what that means for me is I don't do it perfectly. I don't do anything perfectly. Um, sometimes my meals are too big. They are never too small. I promise you never. They are never too small. Sometimes they're too big. Sometimes I eat a bite of vegetables while I am cleaning up my dinner. I report it all. Everything gets reported. Um, I am an imperfect abstainer. And for some people, eating a bite of vegetables while cleaning up would be end game. 
I understand that and I respect it. That's why we each define our abstinence for ourselves. For me, a bite of vegetables while I'm cleaning up is uh, messy. It's not preferred, but it's part of my abstinence. So long as I report it, I don't keep anything a secret. So I really like to be specific about that because everybody's got a different form of abstinence. Some people need like a really tight, clear-cut abstinence. And I have a lot of definition of my abstinence, tons of definitions. I don't eat sugar. I haven't eaten sugar for 33 years. Does that mean no sugar in my diet whatsoever? No, it doesn't mean that. It means like the carrots in my vegetables today at the sushi restaurant, there was some sugar in there. The sushi, there was some sugar in there. Not a big deal, you know, like for me, that's okay. Some people that's too much. That's why we define it. We are individuals defining it defining our food plan with the help of a sponsor and accountability and reporting it. That's what works for me. So, um, so my stats are that I've been abstaining imperfectly for 33 years, maintaining a 45 pound weight loss and, um, unbelievably grateful. And, uh, and I've just kept coming back. I love this program. I'm in three programs. This is my primary program. This is the, program that will kill me. This is the program that is my heart and soul. And uh, if you had asked me back when I was in art school, if I would ever love something called Overeaters Anonymous, I would have been like, no, I will not love a program called Overeaters Anonymous. In fact, the only way I, the way I got tricked back into Overeaters Anonymous was that I met a, narco a narcotic friend of mine who, uh, a drug addict friend of mine who was in NA, she heard that I used to go to OA and invited me to come to a meeting with her. And I was like, sure, I'll go support you. And then I spent three months sobbing in her NA meetings because the way they talked about shooting up heroin is the way I feel about food. That was the door that got me back in. Thank you so much, Joy. So, that's a great segue to the Our Vision for You chapter because, you know, the beauty in this chapter is that somebody found a solution and told somebody and told somebody and told somebody. They told somebody and they told somebody and they told somebody. And that's how it works. That's the only way it works is that we just keep telling somebody. So, like, my husband knows you meet somebody that you think would benefit from Overeaters Anonymous, out me to them, tell them. Oh, my wife, you know, ask them, do you want to hear anything about this? If they're, if they're complaining about their weight or their food or their eating, ask them if they want to know about my wife. I out myself to anybody that wants to know. I'm careful about it. I don't just when I first came in, I was like, blah, blah, blah to everybody. I'm in Overeaters Anonymous. Not everybody wants to hear that. So I'm mindful. I'm respectful. One of the ways that this played out for me, this chapter of passing it on, carrying the message to those who still suffer. And I really love telling this story because this for me is a higher power in action. Um, so, as I said, I grew up in Maryland in the DC suburbs and uh, I was, 
I was living in this really cool, funky little town called Tacoma Park, and I just loved it there. And it's a real community town. And I was newly back into Overeaters Anonymous. And I walked into a print shop. Um, and hanging on the wall was like a three by five card that somebody wrote. Do you know anybody who needs to lose 100 pounds and might want to form a support group? So I took down this lady's phone number and I called her and I said, and I told her that I was in this program of Overeaters Anonymous and it's free. And, you know, I told her I wasn't, a you know, I didn't have 100 pounds to lose, but that I was maintaining a weight loss and that it was, you know, worked for people that had more weight to lose. So she didn't drive. And I, like, I said, do you want me to give you a ride to a meeting? So what started from that was that I started driving this woman to meetings all the time and I was still getting abstinent. Like I was, I was shaky. This woman and I formed this unbelievable friendship as a result of that. And we'd go to meetings all the time. We'd go to lunches, we'd make phone calls. Um, she had, she had a hundred pounds to lose. And at the time she was barely employable, like me, <laughs> I was barely employable. Um, she, uh, her recovery is miraculous. You know, the ways that she has, and she, I'm going to tell you 30 plus years later, she still struggles. She still goes in and out of abstinence and she keeps coming back. She keeps working the program. And she's maintained a tremendous weight loss, um, but she has not had continuous abstinence. God love her. What a miracle for someone to keep coming back no matter what, because we've got what she wants. And she has what we have. It just comes and goes for her. And um, that connection, that sense as this chapter outlines of just I'm so in love and feel so privileged and so blessed and so gifted to have received what I have received here that I am happy to share what I have been given so generously with anyone who may benefit from it. Um, so, uh, Joy, am I down to, I'm probably at like my last five minutes now. Yep. You got about another 40 seconds, then you'll have five minutes. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, so I guess, let me talk about what it's like now. Um, cause Hey, let's have some fun, right? Let's talk about the gifts that come from this program. Um, you know, I really am living a life beyond my wildest dreams and that's not, and it's not like a big life. It's not like, my wildest dreams I'm a rock star like I always wanted to be I it's it's uh it's a quieter simpler life of of living a life beyond my wildest dreams and so what that includes is that um I never thought I'd leave the east coast but I um I went back to school because I binged my way through my undergrad program binged my brains out I ended up going back to school when I was in my thirties and abstinent. And, um, I was an, uh, I was a straight A student. Okay. And I don't, that's not a brag. That's a like, you are friggin' kidding me. Cause I don't view myself as like, I'm straight A student material, 
but that's how much I loved being back in school, loved being able to think without wondering when I was going to go bench at the next bench machine, you know, like sit down and type a paper without wondering when I could get my next fix. I soaked it up because nothing, almost nothing got into my brain from my undergrad. And that is, I feel sad because I could have had an amazing education. And the amends that I made to myself was that going back to school and getting that education. And after that, it really opened my mind to possibilities I never imagined. I ended up, and these were God nudges. I never would have thought to move to the Southwest. I never would have thought to move to the West Coast. I ended up leaving Maryland and going first to Santa Fe and then to LA. I was 20 years in LA, which is where I really got some juicy OA. <laughs> I mean, some really hardcore OA recovery there for 20 years. And, um, and I, uh, one of the things that, one of the ways that my whole history, including my food history impacted me was that I really found it difficult to maintain a long-term relationship with a partner. And I always wanted to be married. And um, so I am, I am a like hardcore late bloomer. I got married for the first time when I was 53. Um, and, uh, I turned 60 this year and, uh, my husband, you know, talk about a higher power marriage, not a perfect marriage, just like my food, nothing perfect about it, but a beautiful marriage. And, um, I married an atheist who, uh, absolutely like lives so many of our principles and the big gift that God gave me by marrying this man was that he suggested when he was retiring, maybe we ought to leave LA, which we loved and where my stepdaughters are. Maybe we ought to leave LA and move back to Maryland to be near your mom. Not something I'd have done on my own. Mm -mm. No, no. I loved LA way too much to come back here for my mom, who at the time I had kind of a uh, little bit of an or crusty relationship with her. So here we are five years back in Maryland and um, it was an absolutely God sent choice and hard, really hard to be a caregiver for a 96 year old woman. She doesn't live with us that, that far I couldn't go, but really hard, hard stuff with my sister who I have a lot of nasty names for because I got to get it out of my system. I do not like being partners with her. And I've done multiple fourth and fifth, sixth, seventh steps on her. Um, so, you know, that's why I say not a perfect life, but a happy, joyous and free life because I can function with her. And uh, shockingly, I, I have fallen madly in love with my mom, who's now 96, like all the bad stuff went away, like results that I never imagined. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had some, some positive things happen in my career, some frustrations in my career. I'm human, you know, like anybody else, good stuff happens, hard stuff happens. And the last thing that what I really want to wrap up with on the, on the hard stuff, good stuff is, um, uh, the hardest thing for me about the past year and possibly one of the hardest things in my life was that 
Um, I lost my two elderly cats last August. I'd had them for 17 years. So uh, longer than I knew my husband, you know, been through so much with those cats. And, uh, you know, it shattered me. It completely, completely shattered me to lose those cats. And I was just coming on my meetings and there's a couple people here who know me just That's crying and crying and crying. Thanks, Joy. I'll wrap up. And just so morbidly depressed, abstinent, 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 just feeling it, feeling it, feeling it, abstinent. And, um, you know, it took, I don't know, five months, but we've got a new kitty now and we are fiercely in love with this cat. And, you know, I still some days grieve my deceased kitties but I can welcome joy um, and I can feel all that. I can feel the hard stuff, the highs, the low. They're not highs and lows so much anymore. They're, you know, the good stuff, the tough stuff, the boredom. I mean, I don't get bored much, but the middle ground can be hard for me. They just can do it all abstinently. So it's great to be with you all. Thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you so much, Laura. That was wonderful. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions for our speaker or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate to the chapter being studied a vision for you. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you would like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or you can use star nine if you're on the phone. And the wonderful Zoom host, Joanna, will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would our wonderful timekeeper, Joy, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Joanna, over to you. Thanks, Amy. Uh, Joanna, uh, compulsive overeater and orthorexic. And we have Roz up first. Wow, I didn't think I'd be first. Um, uh, I'm Roz, compulsive overeater. And um, Joy, I mean, um, thanks, Joy, for timing. Uh, Laura, honestly, I. I just was sucked into your your story. I just so relate and so admire that your honesty. It's very rare that I hear anyone share about imperfect. Um, and I have a real problem with like trying to be perfect, you know. And I've struggled with my food where the things that I thought were, I, I don't want to use what, what, what I would say, um, like terrible, you know, it's like, they're not terrible when I listen to you, you know, and it makes me feel human. And honestly, I, I'm going to, you know, I recently just um, was talking to someone about getting a food, uh, you know, giving my food to someone who isn't going to, um, what would you say, uh, like constantly question what I eat and how I eat. And so how did you get to like where you are at with that? I mean, because I've really, rarely heard anybody talk about what you shared tonight. Can you share with me how, you know, 
how you got to a place where your sponsor wasn't telling you what to eat or, or how to eat or criticizing your food? Um, Amy, Amy, do I answer that question now? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think Roz, the answer is that I, I don't, I don't believe in uh, approaching sponsorship from a judgmental place. And so I, I find sponsors who, uh, who work with me in that way. And we all find our own definition of abstinence and it's a process and it changes over time. Like in my experience, my, my abstinence has changed over time too. So there were some foods that I could not eat in the very beginning. I had to eat a very, very limited amount of foods in the very beginning. And slowly I began to be able to add things in. So I think we all just need room to find our way. And I sponsor the way that I found people to sponsor me, which is I, I do ask questions, but I don't ask them like, what are you doing eating that? It's not like that. It's like, Hey, I noticed that you've been having this, these banana chips every day. How do those banana chips feel to you? And how do you like the, you know, how do you relate to them? And then I listen to what the answer is and I let the person draw their own conclusions. And if they keep reporting to me, like these banana chips, they're really, really turning me on and I've got to have them every day, but I'm not willing to give them up. Well, then I say, okay, you know, and if there comes a time that, they're willing to give them up. That's fine. But it's not my job to like lay the hammer down. It's my job to shine a light on help a person see what it is they're doing so that they can, with the help of a power greater themselves, make choices that support and serve them. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for your share tonight. Okay, thank you. Now we have Nancy P. Hi, everybody. Um, Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Laura, that was an excellent share. And, um, you know, I'm living proof, like your friend who's been struggling for 30 years, that if you just keep coming back, you will, you can get this. It isn't that complicated. Um, and everybody's always heard me say it, you know, the only thing that, um, that worked for me was when I totally surrendered absolutely entirely, completely and utterly. Um, and just before I get, came to the meeting, um, a woman called me, everybody that calls me that's, you know, that wants to talk to me for whatever reason, um, that wants something from me, wants support, I give them as much support as I can. And then when I have to get off the phone, I say, call me in a week, I order you to call me in a week. So this woman um, called me, it's been a couple of weeks, but, and I forgot who she was, but we had this really good conversation. And, and she said, um, I said, I gotta go, I get, I have a few minutes, but I have to go to this meeting. And, um, and she said, um, you know, what do you do to, to stay out of the food? And I said, um, I don't care about food. Finally, you know, I can say that completely honestly. I mean, I do care about it. I eat beautifully, but I eat very simply. And, um, and I am not really interested in trying to expand my repertoire because, you know, it'll bring up all these, you know, like strange, not confusing, but, you know, it'll bring stress. And I'm not interested in stress today. I'd rather just continue to eat the way that I eat. And, um, 
I said, she goes, well, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, the whole thing is predicated on that we do what works for us, just like what you were saying, Laura, about everybody has to find their own way. Like, I don't care what my sponsees eat. They care. You know, it doesn't hurt me, whatever they eat. It hurts them. Or they, whatever decision they make doesn't affect me. It affects them. And, um, you know, and I said, to the, I said to this girl, I said, you know, I got to go. I got to go. I was kind of in a rush. And I was like, my attention was, was split between her and wanting to get, you know, dial into this meeting and not be late. And I said, the whole thing is predicated on the ease which, with which we throw away old ideas that don't work in favor of new ideas that do. I said, so think about that and then call me in a week. And, um, and that's what she agreed to do. And the last thing that I'll say is, you know, it, it was a, you know my recovery was a long, long time in coming, almost five decades. And, um, but, you know, once I surrendered, it wasn't hard at all. Like at all, it wasn't hard. And, um, you know, I get that the payback is that I, I never, ever, ever am tempted to eat compulsively or hurt myself with food, but forget about that even. I live in white light today and every breath I take is one of joy and um, including the icky days, like I was building up kind of a head of steam, a bunch of, I had surgery, that's why I'm not on camera and my face is a mess. It's all bruised and bloody and horrible. And um, yet I took care of it with fellowshipping, I call it, talking to another compulsive reader, and um, I highly recommend it. And anybody wants to, call me, then I'll pass. Okay, now we have Amy B. Thank you, Joanna, for your service tonight. And thank you so much, Laura, for your share. Um, I'm going to I, I want to just read a little bit from the chapter from a vision for you tonight um, that we have shown how we got from under. This is page 152. You say, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without my substance, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous. Here you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. I don't whatever I need to do, whatever I need to put down, whatever guidelines I need to treat my physical addiction, this fellowship, this way of living, it pales in comparison. The substance is only mentioned in the first step. It's really the solution that didn't work. And clearing that out, like to get this, to get the stuff that it talks about in this chapter. Later on in this page, you're going to meet these new friends in your own community. Um, uh, among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties for you will escape disaster together and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. I have friends in these squares and I have people that are new friends and people who are friends that I haven't 
gotten to talk to yet, but because I know that we are commencing shoulder to shoulder on this common journey. I love this chapter. I'm feeling really, really just connected to this fellowship tonight. So I, I guess God's, God's timing is always right. So yeah, so glad to, to talk about this with all of you tonight. And I am going to pass.